What did you do during the pandemic? That will be a question that will probably follow us all throughout the rest of our lives. Me, I managed to do a good amount of reading about pandemics. I'm about a third of the way into Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe, recounting the Great Plague of London, which was the last major epidemic stemming from the bubonic plague. I'm looking forward to reading Catherine Ann Porter's Pale Horse, Pale Rider, in which she draws from her own experience of illness in the 1918 flu pandemic, offering one of the puzzlingly few literary representations of that pandemic from the people who lived through it. And I recently finished Pale Rider, a title drawn from Porter's work, a nonfiction account of the 1918 flu pandemic published in 2017 by Laura Spinney, which you heard brief selections from in the reading. So why immerse myself in books about pandemics? Isn't there enough of that all around me? Couldn't I search out happier topics, more hopeful topics, more helpful topics? I do admit that my recent science fiction read, The End of the World, Tales from the Apocalypse, may have had something of the perverse about it. But aside from my own personality quirks, I have come up with at least one other reason that I am drawn to these books about pandemics from history. Perspective. As hard as this feels, as much as it feels uniquely disruptive and destructive, as profound as the changes it has brought and will bring seem to be, other people at other times have lived through similar and sometimes far more painful circumstances. It is not to dismiss the pain that people are feeling now, nor to do any less to address the problems and alleviate the suffering but to say that we are not uniquely afflicted. We have stories, experience, and wisdom from which to draw. Part of the helpful perspective from past events comes from the fact that they are indeed past. It is sometimes hard to find a healthy perspective on events that one is caught up in, to notice the patterns of behavior the effective and ineffective means of addressing the challenge of a pandemic, the predictable responses to such initiatives, to see what is helpful and what is decidedly unhelpful. We have been here before, and so undoubtedly, we humans carried what we learned from each experience so that if we ever faced anything like it again, we would know what to say, how to act, what to do, to lessen the pain, and to protect us all as best we can from the suffering that such a pandemic can inflict, and to tend to those who are afflicted and those who suffer loss and insecurity from its effects. We learned from all this, right? Well, there is something in a pandemic that strikes at the very heart of how humans create meaning. 
strikes at the heart of how we make sense of the world around us, strikes at the heart of how we understand good and evil, personal happiness and the common good, strikes at the heart of our carefully constructed but rarely reflected upon sense of security and exposes the underlying insecurity of existence itself. We feel that our lives have been invaded and upended. We hunker down in our homes, those of us who have homes, and we look for ways to protect ourselves from this threat. May nothing evil cross this door, and may ill fortune never pry about these windows. May the roar and rain go by. So read the first lines of Lewis Untermeyer's poem, A Prayer for This House. Provides the lyrics for the very first hymn in our hymnal. May nothing evil cross this door. And we may think we've come well past the point where we consider a pandemic an act of evil, courtesy of the devil, or an act of judgment, courtesy of God. But the scientific explanation, sturdy and reasonable as it may be, cannot answer that persistently plaintive human cry of why. Why? Not in the sense of how does this happen, but in terms of what does it mean, and more specifically, what does it mean for me? And the human pursuit of that answer in the context of protecting ourselves as best we can seems to have found common, consistent, and now familiar expressions throughout history. And some of those expressions are unfortunate, to say the least. For instance, the desire to make sense of what's happening and to restore order in the midst of seeming disorder has routinely led people to create scapegoats, laying the blame on the other, however that is defined at the time. Spinney writes, each new wave of immigration had been associated not only with certain racial stereotypes, but also with specific diseases. In the 1830s, cholera was blamed on poor Irish immigrants. Towards the end of that century, TB became known as the Jewish disease or the Taylor's disease. And when polio broke out in East Coast cities in 1916, the Italians were blamed. The familiar name of the 1918 pandemic, the Spanish flu, speaks to that misinformed, misguided desire to trace the evil to its source. It is highly unlikely that the virus originated in Spain, though scientists have not been able to pinpoint its origins. Does that sound at all familiar? The president defending the use of the phrase, the China virus resulting in threatening behavior and sometimes outright violence against Asian Americans. Such naming is, of course, not anything about the actual source of the virus, but about affirming that it comes from outside us, whoever us is. It's not us, it's them. 
In addition to blaming the other for spreading the virus, there can also be a tendency to blame those who suffer from it. The Italian immigrants mentioned earlier were among the most recently arrived in New York at the time of the 1918 pandemic. Eugenicists pointed to the constitutional inferiority of the degenerate races, whose lack of drive caused them to gravitate to squalid tenements, where the diseases to which they were prone naturally followed them. In other words, they argued that Italians were more susceptible because they were Italians. In fact, it was bad diet crowded living conditions, and poor access to health care that weakened the Constitution, rendering the poor immigrants and ethnic minorities more susceptible to disease. Sound familiar? We may have technically put the twisted illogic of eugenics behind us, but listen for overtones of those same explanations today. And the other way that humans consistently across time struggle their way back to a sense of security and the semblance of order is to deny that there is a real problem at all. Again, from Spinney, on 12th of October, the day that the flu spread through the elegant guests at the Club dos Diaros, a satirical magazine in Brazil expressed a fear that the authorities would exaggerate the danger imposed by this mere killer of old people to justify imposing a, quote, scientific dictatorship, unquote, and violating people's civil rights. Sound familiar? All too familiar? Are there lessons to be learned from these past pandemics? Absolutely. Whether we as human beings are ready to learn from them is not as certain. When I thought about the whole project of protecting ourselves against a threat like a pandemic, when President Trump called himself a wartime president, it made me wonder about who or what we are battling exactly. Though our tendency is always to other the enemy, may nothing evil cross this door, we eventually have to realize that in this case, just as in all those horror movies, the call is coming from inside the house. You see what I mean? If this is wartime, it is what Muhammad called the greater jihad, that battle within oneself to control one's most base and selfish instincts. It is a fight to define what is human as that which is humane. Evil is not out there. It is in the very structures of our society. Why are the most vulnerable populations the most vulnerable populations, I wonder? The flu may have been democratic, as one French historian put it, speaking of the 1918 pandemic. The flu may have been democratic, but the society it struck was not. 
Evil is not out there. It is in our very natures, residing there as potential. It can be fueled by fear. It tells me that there is not enough of anything to go around. It assures me that the other is the enemy. Evil resides as potential within each and all of us. So say all of these tomes I've been reading on past pandemics. It resides within all of us. But so does compassion, empathy, solidarity. In the midst of such a crisis, people have often discovered an expanded sense of self what Laura Spinney describes as collective resilience. We each identify as members of a group who are under threat so that protecting myself actually includes protecting you. We are in this together. Then, as now, many healthcare workers exemplified what it means to care for others. These people are in the front line of any epidemic, spinning rights, and governments often worry that they will desert their posts as soon as they see that their own lives are in danger. The Spanish flu showed the opposite. Most stayed at work until they were no longer physically able to or until they posed a risk to their patients. Patterns keep repeating throughout history because all we can bring to such a crisis is our humanity with all its flaws and all its beauties. Author Laura Spinney in a TED Radio Hour April 10th um, interview responded to a question about the current impatience with the precautions we still need to take and the urgency to open everything up to go back to normal. She said, you were seeing a little bit of the mentality then that we're seeing today where people are finding it hard to tolerate self-isolation over time. Maybe it's okay at the beginning, but sustaining it gets hard. You know, we find ourselves, I mean, this is a different world. This is a different germ. This is a different disease. But now while I'm living through it, what I'm feeling is there is something very ancient about this. There is something ancient about the way we react, about the way we behave well, behave badly. It doesn't feel like it's changed since Greek time, since the Greeks described hysteria in these kinds of situations and good behavior in these kinds of situations. It all feels very ancient. It does. It feels very ancient. But just think, if we can let go of the destructive, painful, and oppressive patterns so that we may engage collective resilience, the realization of an expanded self that includes you. What if I carried the realization that just as when I wear a mask because I care about you and don't wish to spread disease, I am always, in a sense, protecting you from the worst within me. Why not acknowledge that potential and be intentional about not inflicting that upon others? May nothing evil move my hands 
May nothing evil cross my lips. May nothing evil guide my steps. May nothing evil be allowed to take hold of me and dishonor the inescapable network of mutuality that exists between us. I vow to notice that corrosive fear within me that can spread as quickly as any virus, and I will do what I need to do to make sure you are not infected. And I trust that you will do the same for me, and we will do that because we care about one another. What then? What story would future readers find of this time and place. May we together write that book.